by his spirit the lord jesus is here among us this morning so we ask that you would speak to us by your spirit through your word for our good uh, for building us up in the faith and for equipping us to serve you and uh, warming our hearts to love you more as we read of your kindness and your favour and your mercy. Uh, Father, we ask that you would teach us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know what you think about luck. Do you believe in luck? Um, In previous times, Christians spoke about providence. Uh, In other words, God was the divine authority over everything that went on in life and Christians quite frequently in fact even people that weren't really believers used to speak about providence Uh, but people these days often believe in luck Uh, our kids used to play hockey uh, in Druin Um, there was only four teams in the competition so you got to know the opposition fairly well over the course of a season or many seasons and uh, there were some parents of opposition players that sort of distinguished themselves for this or for that Um, so there was a kid on one of the opposing teams. He was a pretty good player and his dad was obviously a keen hockey player and a, uh, I think had something to do with coaching the team that the boy was in. But whenever this boy had a shot on goal that missed, his father would yell out, he had a very distinctive English accent, and he would go, Unlucky, Dion. Unlucky. Now, I'd heard that enough time that it made me think about it because by definition, if Dion scored a goal... That would have to be lucky, wouldn't it? (laughs) But I don't think Dad would have been that happy if I'd gone up to him afterwards and said, your kid played well today, he got two luckies. (laughs) I don't think that would have gone down that well. But people believe in luck. Things just happen. Um, Maybe they believe the universe is directing things down that way. So if the universe was smiling on Dion, he would have got three luckies. I don't know. But the Bible teaches us that God is in control. That's why we read Romans 8.28. It's a classic verse about that. It's a verse that we need to meditate hard on and think before we uh, use it sometimes with people. Uh, But the fact is all things work together. The book of James, James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from God. (coughs) Every good and perfect gift. So this story of Ruth is a story that relies on providence. There's an unseen hand directing the affairs of Ruth and her mother-in-law Naomi and the other characters in the story as well. So the story so far, uh, Ruth 1, look at it, keep your Bible open, but Ruth chapter 1 verse 1 sets the scene for the whole thing in the days when the judges ruled. Right now, Nathan drew attention to this last week, but that's the setting of the, of the story of Ruth. Now, the book of Judges is conveniently placed in our English Bibles just before Ruth. Ruth is meant to stand as a contrast to the chaos and the disorder and the violence and the sexual depravity of the book of Judges. In the days when the Judges ruled, well, people who read the Bible story are longing for some good news. And here it is in Ruth. Ruth is a beautiful story. It's a calm in the midst of a storm. Because the judges was a terrible time to be trying to live for God because so many people were turning away from him in the day when the judges ruled. So we read about a family, Elimelech and his wife Naomi, uh, left Israel, the promised land, the land of promise. They went to Moab because of a famine. Famines can only happen to God's people when they've disobeyed him. 
If you read the book of Deuteronomy, God promises that he will send the rains in season. And so the, the very fact that there was a famine meant that things were going bad in the home country. And so Elimelech and his wife went to Moab. Uh, they had two sons who married local Moabite women. In very short order, we're told just in just a few verses, they were there for 10 years. And in that period of time, Elimelech died, leaving Naomi a widow. But then the two sons, uh, they died as well leaving two Moabite widows. And so as the story goes on, Naomi hears that things have turned for the better in the homeland of Israel. She hears that there's grain in the fields. And so she says to her daughters-in-law, we're going back or I'm going back. The two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, say we'll come too. And Naomi dissuades them. She says, look, there's no point in you coming with me. Why are you coming? You'd be better off to stay here where your marriage prospects are better. She said, you're never going to get children from me. I'm not going to be able to produce any more sons. And so Orpah takes the advice of Naomi, but Ruth clings to her. Have a look at uh, Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. Ruth says, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for you, where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. And so the chapter ended, and Nathan pointed out it's a bit of a cliffhanger ending, the chapter ended by telling us they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Right, so in other words, there is grain. There's something that you can actually harvest. But these are two widows. There was no social security in those days. There was no dole. There was no allocation for people like this. They were completely dependent on the goodwill of the community they went to and particularly their family. So verses 1 to 3 of chapter 2 that Mary read for us before show Ruth putting into practice her survival plan. And so we read there, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. That's all we hear for the moment. We're introduced to this fellow and we learn good things about him, but then the scene returns to Ruth and Naomi. So we've been introduced to a man called Boaz who's a worthy man and he's from the family that, um, that Naomi has been married into. And so verse 2, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. Glean among the ears of grain. Now what Ruth's saying here is that she's going to be the beneficiary. She and Naomi are depending on the people of Bethlehem having remembered God's law because God's law provided for the poor. God's law instructed them Uh, in Leviticus chapter 19 that when they reaped their harvest they were not to pick up any of the grain that fell to the ground they weren't to scrape it up the grain was to be left for the poor who couldn't afford their own fields they weren't even to harvest their field right to the edge of the field they were to leave what was on the edge for the gleaners now gleaners were people who had no access to land of their own but they depended on other people, leaving them just a bit so that they could stay fed. 
And so Ruth says to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favour. So she's depending on there being someone. She doesn't know who it is yet, but she's depending on there being someone who loves God and loves his law enough to have left the grain for them to glean and to just be able to pick up the scraps that have been left over. So they're in Bethlehem and the name Bethlehem means the house of bread. It had been the house of famine, but now it's full of bread again. This Boaz that we've been introduced to is a worthy man, which means that he's... um, The the same word can be translated that he's able. It can mean that he's brave and valiant. It could also point to the fact that he's wealthy. But he's a person who's worthy of respect. He's a person that has the respect of people in the city of Bethlehem, or the town of Bethlehem. Now, so far, we don't know that Ruth and Naomi have actually looked for any kind of help. They've just turned up. People have noted that they've come back. They've noted that uh, Naomi is no longer with her husband. Naomi said, don't call me Naomi anymore because that means sweetness. Call me Mara because that means bitter and that's how she's feeling. She's feeling pretty bitter with life at the moment. Um, But anyway, Ruth sets out in search in verse 3 and she happened to come to the field belonging to Boaz. Now that that, that word happened is a key word here. Wouldn't you know it? we've been told about Boaz the worthy man Ruth says we need food she says I'm going to go and glean hoping to find a favourable outcome and she happened to come to the field of Boaz it's the first indication that there's this unseen hand driving events and so we go on to verse 4 and behold now that word behold means look look and see And so as we go on, she happened to be in the right paddock and bingo, who turns up? Boaz, the owner. Now, he didn't have to be there because as you read on, you'll find that he's got lots of reapers. So he's in charge, but he doesn't have to be there to harvest. But it just so happens on this day of the harvest, good old Boaz of Bethlehem shows up. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. He left the town behind, went out to his fields, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you, and they answered, the Lord bless you. Now what does that show you about Boaz straight away? The Lord bless you, Yahweh bless you. That shows you he's a godly man. That's a part of his worthiness. He's a godly man. And so reading into the text here, we can say this is a man that probably takes God's word seriously, which is a good recommendation for anyone. Uh, It's also a bit of a hint to us... um, Ruth is a story with many surprises and many strangenesses for people like us. Jesus commands that we pray, give us today our daily bread. When was the last time you actually took that prayer seriously? Because our daily sustenance doesn't depend on us going having to grow it and then, for most of us, we just think, oh, if we've run out of milk, we'll go to the supermarket. If we run out of bread, we'll go to the baker. But for these people, it was hand to mouth. What they hadn't picked and eat, they, they wouldn't eat. And so the, the, I think this is an indication that Boaz is a godly man who regards Yahweh as the source of everything he needs. So he greets his workers with, with a, a spiritual blessing. 
And Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers in verse 5, whose young woman is this? So Ruth's come to his attention. And so they explain that she's a young Moabite. Now the Moabites were not friends of Israel. Uh, the Moabites had denied Israel access to their land when Israel was on its march from Egypt through to the Promised Land. The Moabites were not friends of Israel. And in fact, God had said to Israel, don't admit them to the assembly. So the Moabites were people that had a bad reputation and the fact that she's been well received is another indication that God is at work here. So she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab, just in case you've forgotten that bit. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. What have we just learned about, Naomi, about Ruth? She's a hard worker, right? She's got to provide for her mother-in-law, but we've just learned in one sentence that she's a hard worker. And she's well-mannered too, because she asked to glean. She didn't just assume it. So Boaz turns up, and uh, the the landowner greets his workers. um, And then Boaz notices Ruth. Now, it's an interesting thing that he does here. Uh, Three things are reported her Moabite background that she'd come back with Naomi and she'd asked permission to glean and she worked industriously all good character qualities Ruth is actually a real model of the wise woman of Proverbs 31 she's exactly the sort of woman that Proverbs 31 praises and so verses 8 to 17 the big central section of our reading uh, Boaz of Bethlehem meets Ruth from Moab and Ruth finds favour in Israel So Boaz, having been told about her, said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. That uh, little phrase, keep close, is a very interesting one because that's what a man does to a woman in marriage. Keep close. Now, Boaz is concerned for the security of Ruth. Now, we're not told what's drawn his attention to her. We're not told that she was stunningly beautiful, but somehow or another... He's found her there and he asks about her and it's pretty clear from the way the story's unfolding that there's just a little bit of interest starting to emerge in the mind of Boaz of Bethlehem. And so he wants to treat this woman Ruth well and so he says, stay close. And he uses a word that's used in Genesis 2 to describe marriage. In other words, don't let them out of your sight. Don't put yourself in danger. This is the time of the judges after all. Remember Samson? Remember some of the other sexual weirdness that went on in the book of Judges? Young reapers out in the paddock. Young Ruth from Moab. And Boaz says, stay close to the women. Let your eyes be on the field that they're reaping in and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? Now that means don't assault Ruth in any way, shape or form, whether physical or sexual. He's told his young men, you keep your hands to yourself, leave Ruth alone. So he's given her protection and he's made her welcome in Bethlehem to glean and to, 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 to get what she needs. There's something wonderful going on there. This stranger has been welcomed by God's people, by the people who should be living by God's covenant law. They've welcomed a stranger. And they've welcomed her on the basis of what they know that she's done 
for one of their own, Naomi. And so in verse 10, Ruth falls on her face and bows to the ground and says to Boaz, Why have I found favour in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Now the word favour there, you could also translate grace, which is a beautiful word that we find a lot in the New Testament. But it's all through the Old Testament as well because God, from beginning to end, is a God who doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He's generous. And so Ruth wants to know, why have you treated me with favour or grace? Why have your acts of kindness been rendered to me when I'm a foreigner? Now what that means is that Boaz is behaving towards Ruth as Yahweh has behaved towards his people. Boaz is being a good representative of the God of Israel right here by welcoming a stranger, by welcoming a foreigner. Psalm 84 verse 11 says, The Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Boaz is walking uprightly and he's reflecting the grace of God in the way he reacts to Ruth. So Boaz answers in verse 11, All that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So Ruth wonders, or she asks Boaz, Why have you shown favour to me? Boaz explains. Now, Ruth has put herself at considerable risk by following Naomi. The journey from Moab to Bethlehem, by my calculation, looking it up on the map, was about 150 kilometres by foot. Two widows. Put yourself in that position. And so, rather than take the safe option of going back to her people, as Naomi had said she probably ought to do, Ruth has said, no, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. She says, if anything, even other than death separates us. Wow, what commitment. That's commitment worthy of a marriage, actually. And so Boaz sums up what she's done in terms that make Ruth sound like a new Abraham. Now, remember Abraham? He was also... He didn't live in Israel. He came from a long, long way away. And in Genesis 12, when when what Abraham does is described, and Abraham is the father of the Jewish race, when Abraham um, responds to God's call, he left his father and mother, he left his native land, and he came to a people that didn't know him. So Ruth is like a new Abraham. Abraham was the patriarch of the people of God. I think in a quite a wonderful way, Ruth is being represented here as a matriarch. Now remember how the story of Ruth ends? Nathan read it out last week. The story of Ruth ends by telling us that the story's told at all because Ruth became the ancestor of the great King David. I think the story's meant to remind us that Ruth is the matriarch in a very special way of God's people. So Ruth's done in Abraham, she's moved from east to west uh, to, a, to a home in the land of promise and she takes her place in Israel's story. And Boaz says, the Lord repay you. He, he asks that she be given a full reward. What sort of payment 
would Ruth have imagined to be a full reward for her? What do you reckon? A child? That would be a good option. It doesn't get better than having offspring in that culture. So when Boaz wishes her from God that she be given full reward and full payment, and if Ruth's listening, probably she's got in mind, gee, if he did that, I'd really like it to include a child. So in verse 13, Ruth says, If I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. So she's humble. She's grateful and she's humble. She calls Boaz her Lord, which means sir. It's a term of respect. And it's emphasising her lowly status. So she's a bit of a nobody, completely dependent on the kindness of people that she barely knows or doesn't know. And yet she's treated with favour by a man who acts towards her as God has acted towards him. And so at verse 14, the generosity increases at mealtime. Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. So Boaz fed her generously. He fed her so well, she didn't have to bring her own lunch. He fed her so well that she couldn't even eat all of it. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean among the sheaves. Not just the outskirts, not just at the edge of the paddock, not just picking up the bits that have been left over. Boaz says to her, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And here's the clincher. And also pull out some from the bundles and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So in other words, don't give her the leftovers. Go a little bit extra. Take some out of what you've picked and leave it there for Ruth. Does that sound like a good deal? (laughs) To a person whose very livelihood is dependent on this? She's not going around bending over double, picking up just the little bits from the side of the, the paddock. She's now finding whole cut bits that she doesn't really have to labour for. Great generosity. So Deuteronomy 24 verse 19 is probably what's driving Boaz here. Deuteronomy 24 verse 19 says, When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. But it's not that they're forgetting the sheaf, they're leaving it intentionally. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Now what that means is, when God's people keep his law, he will bless them. Their land has come under God's curse, probably because they're not keeping his law. That's why the famine happened. But Boaz is a man enjoying God's blessing because he takes the law and exceeds what God asks for. He's not just saying, oh, fellas, if you forget a sheaf, just leave it there. He's saying, take some of the sheaf out and make sure it's there for this woman who would otherwise be destitute. So verse 17 tells us that Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. Have you ever picked up an ephah of barley on your own? I didn't think so. I had to look it up. An ephah of barley is a a measurement um, and it could have been up to about 13 kilograms. 
Now, that's a big sack of flour to take home from the supermarket. Ruth would probably have needed a wheelbarrow to take, except they didn't exist. Um, that's how well Boaz provided for her, right? Normally speaking, she would have picked up enough for perhaps a day's food. A day's food. But she goes home with about a month's supply because dear old Boaz of Bethlehem, the kind redeemer, has looked after her. So verses 18 to 23, as the reading comes to an end, she took up what she gleaned, she went into the city, her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, she also brought out and gave her what food she had left. So she didn't keep it for herself, she took the excess food home to share with Naomi. Presumably Naomi hasn't had much to eat in the meantime. So we're talking real poverty here. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So in other words, she's come home with all this stuff. Naomi's thinking, he's a good chap. Tell me more about him. So Ruth told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And there's two, two very important details in Naomi's acknowledgement of Boaz. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. So kindness is a key characteristic of this whole story. It's an illustration of the kindness of Boaz, which is a reflection of the kindness of God. Amazing kindness. And so Naomi says he deserves to be blessed by the Lord for this kindness. But the kindness that Naomi's really referring to is probably the kindness of Yahweh. Now remember the last time Naomi opened her mouth much about things? She says, don't call me sweet anymore, call me bitter, because she's bitter towards Yahweh. This is a turning point in the story for Naomi, because she's now acknowledging that Yahweh is the source of Boaz's kindness. And it's kindness that she was hoping to receive, but she wasn't entirely sure she was going to, because Boaz is a relative of Elimelech, not of hers. And Boaz had other options, as we'll see later on in the story. But the kindness of Boaz was extended to Naomi and her foreign daughter-in-law, probably who didn't really expect anything much. Now, the second detail of interest here is that Boaz is listed as being one of our redeemers. Notice one of our redeemers. So this is God's social welfare program for his people, Israel. Uh, if you were to read Leviticus chapter 25, now lots of people say, oh, they find the, the law of the Bible boring. Well, that's, don't ever let me hear you say that, right? Every one of the 66 books is God's word. Um, we're going to preach Leviticus at Warrigal next year and you can count on it. We're going to do it here at Mapra before too much longer, right? Uh, I'm looking forward, I, I met a... Um, a pastor a few years ago who, who told me he was preaching through Leviticus. He said, it's my new favourite book, right? So uh, stand by. We're going to be, well, God willing, we'll be doing Leviticus one day. But in Leviticus, there's provision for how God wants his people to live. And he says to them, this is how you need to treat people when they've fallen on hard times. And so there needs to be a provision of a person called a redeemer. 
and the redeemer was to take care of them in all sorts of different ways but this is all evidence of god's kindness now kindness there is a very very important bible word it's the hebrew word hesed now the word hesed is so rich in meaning that it can't be captured by just one english word and so variously throughout the bible it's a favorite word of the psalmists if you were to read all the way through the psalm you'll see it over and over again and it's usually translated steadfast love love that won't quit love that you can count on and depend on but it's not always translated that way hesed is sometimes translated loyalty or mercy or compassion but all of those things are caught up in that one beautiful word Boaz has demonstrated hesed to Ruth and by extension to Naomi. That's the love that he receives from God. And he's demonstrated on Yahweh's behalf. Now this is all in contrast to the chaos of the judges period where it was every man for himself. But Boaz is a man who takes God's law seriously. And so what we find here is a worthy man bestowing favour or grace and showing kindness, steadfast love and mercy to a stranger who's come to take refuge beneath the protective wings of Yahweh, the God of Israel. Now, I had Chris read Psalm 57 before because it's one of a number of references to taking shelter beneath the wings. It probably refers to the protective cover of an eagle over its chickens, whatever you call baby eagles, Eagles protected their young by extending their wings and then they taught them to fly by carrying them on their wings. And and the image is one of great tenderness and protection which is drawn from the world that God created. And Boaz says to Ruth, you have come to Israel and you have found protection under the wings of Israel's God. Now, I want to tell you, friends, that's an illustration for all of us. Because we, unless you're an Israelite by birth, and I don't suppose many of us are, that's the model for what salvation in the Bible is all about. We are people who have come to Israel's God. How have we come to Israel's God? Through Israel's King, the Lord Jesus, the one that God promised to be the ruler of the world. We've become Israelites by adoption, just like Ruth. So when Ruth says, your God will be my God, that's something that we say too. We've become Israelites by adoption, by welcoming to the family of the God whose mercy and kindness extends even to foreigners. So Boaz behaves towards Naomi and Ruth as God has behaved towards him. Flip across to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Now this is another part of the Bible that lots of people shirk or perhaps feel a bit embarrassed about. The genealogies, but the genealogies are full of interest. And so as you go through the genealogy of the Lord Jesus, we won't read all of it, But it starts, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Skip down to verse 5 and see what we find there. That along the line that led to the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, we find Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. 
Does that name ring any bells? Rahab was the prostitute of Jericho. So when the Israelite spies in the book of Joshua chapter 2 came into Jericho to spy it out to see what needed to be undertaken before they could conquer the well-defended city of Jericho, who gave them lodging? Rahab. Who hid them under the flax and told the people that came to find them that they weren't there anymore? Rahab of Jericho. Rahab asked that she be protected by God's people when they came into the land and that she and her family be spared. And she gave this confession that amounts to worship of the God of Israel. And she was the mother of Boaz. Now, as we learn later on, Boaz marries the Moabite woman. I don't want to give too much of the story away, but he does, right? But he's the mother of the Jerichoite. So he knows a thing or two about strangers being welcomed into the family of God because that was his mother's testimony. But his mother stands as another great example of what salvation means. Anyone who comes to the God of Israel asking for mercy and forgiveness will find refuge, just like Ruth has. So Boaz's kindness reflects and points us to the kindness of God. Um, God's kindness works its way out very often through providence but also through people. And he, he promises to protect even people like Ruth and people like us. So why are we preaching Ruth in the lead up to Christmas? I reckon Ruth is a vision of how life ought to be. You've got the chaos of the judges where everyone did what was right in their own eyes because there was no king in Israel. But in Ruth, we find a man called Boaz who lives according to the law. And does it work out well? Is the law good law? Yes. Can people keep it? No. Except Boaz made a good fist of it. He's living by the law and there's evidence of favour, kindness and blessing. Remember in Luke 2 when the angels declare the glory of the birth that's just happened in Bethlehem what do the angels sing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased is that a fitting description of the content of the book of Ruth glory to God in the highest peace on earth among those with whom he's pleased I reckon it's close I reckon Ruth gives us a vision of what life ought to be like when we live it God's way Ruth, Boaz says, has come to Israel's God for refuge. What's refuge? It's safety. It's peace. It's coming in out of the storm. Whenever I think of refuge, I think of Wilson's Promontory. Have you ever done the walk around Wilson's Promontory? Because when you come down the hill from Sealer's Cove, you, you see Refuge Cove. And Refuge Cove is this beautiful wine glass shaped cove. And I can imagine boats coming in from the wild ocean and finding calm water in Refuge Cove. Ruth has come out of the chaos of life and found refuge under the protective covering of the wings of Yahweh of Israel. The book of Hebrews tells us that Christian believers are we who have come for refuge, we who have fled for refuge. Hebrews chapter 6, that's our description. It's just, it's, it's, it's just a brief description in a, in a longer, more complicated passage. But who are we? 
If you've come to the Lord Jesus for salvation, according to the writer of the book of Hebrews, you have sought refuge in Jesus. We see Ruth taking refuge in Yahweh. Christians are people who've taken refuge. What do we find in in Ruth chapter 2? An illustration of amazing kindness. Well, that's what Paul in Romans says, that recipients of God's forgiveness are found. Because Romans chapter 2 tells us that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. God is a kind God from beginning to end. Genesis to Revelation, you'll find God being the one and the same. He hasn't changed. He's always been gracious. He's always been merciful. He's always been slow to anger. He's always abounded in hesed, steadfast love, the love that shows kindness and favour to strangers when they shelter in the protection of his salvation. So, providence... Or luck. Unlucky Dion, he used to say. I believe in providence. I believe that God is in control, and I believe that God can even use the worst of circumstances when his people respond to them in faith. God leads and provides for his people, Naomi and Ruth, and he'll lead and provide for you too. So, Ruth as a book demonstrates God's kindness and his control over events that led to a birth in Bethlehem that changed the world. And that's why we're preaching it coming up to Christmas. Ruth climaxes with the birth in Bethlehem of a man who became the, uh, the great-great-grandfather of David. But further down the track, one of Boaz's great descendants was the Lord Jesus himself. We're preaching Ruth at Christmas time because Ruth is a book with a birth in Bethlehem that changes the world. So, if you haven't already, seek refuge and kindness and favour in the God of Israel under his protective wings. Find safety from his wrath on Judgment Day by seeking him through the son who is the descendant of Ruth and Boaz, even the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful book, this, this glimpse of life as it ought to be, lived under your good law. Uh, We thank you for the example that it sets us of a a stranger to the people that you'd chosen being so welcomed in amongst them. So we thank you for the example that Boaz sets of someone who has received your love and forgiveness and who extends it to others. We thank you for the example that Ruth sets of someone who acknowledges you as the one true God and finds refuge and salvation in you. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, the offspring of Boaz and Ruth, who uh, became our refuge and our protector and our saviour. Father, we uh, pray that at this Advent season, you would help us to reflect on these things and uh, to treasure them and to, uh, to order our lives according to them. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do we do now? We sing again? Is that what's happening? We go straight to the Lord's Supper? Right, okay. Well, if we could get ready for the Lord's Supper... Um, I said just as I was finishing up there that in Hebrews 6 Christians are described as people who have come for refuge. We've fled for refuge to the Lord Jesus. Romans chapter 2 tells us that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Refuge, Christian refuge means that we've found safety from God. Uh, One day everybody will meet God on the day of judgment. That will be a day of reward for some and a day of wrath for many. Uh, But we understand that the events that we celebrate in communion, Jesus paid the price 
for our sin. He became our redeemer and he gives us refuge because he took the full wrath of God and so we come to him and we find our refuge by faith in the Lord Jesus. God's kindness, which we see in Ruth, provides for our deepest need. You have no greater need right now or ever than knowing that your sins have been forgiven, fully paid for, so that you can stand secure on judgment day. That's your deepest need. And so God provides for all of that. And the Lord's Supper is a a simple reminder that the cost of this refuge, the cost of this kindness, was that Jesus offered his life. His body, which was broken, is represented by the bread. His blood, which was poured out, is represented by the cup. They're just visible symbols of the wonder of what it cost God to welcome us as strangers into his family. So we fled to Jesus for refuge because of God's kindness to us. Let's pray and give thanks for the bread. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a kind and a merciful God. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through the Lord Jesus. And we thank you that on that dreadful day on Mount Calvary, uh, he bore in his body our sins on the cross. And we thank you that he did this so that we could be redeemed we could be set free, we could be forgiven so that uh, because he paid that dreadful price we could find refuge in him now and uh, the guarantee of safety on the great day of judgment that's to come. So we thank you for Jesus' mercy and his kindness. We thank you for his grace. We thank you for this visible token that we can take now and eat in remembrance that Christ died for us. We pray all, all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.